0: You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap.
1: Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not gonna clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing.
2: Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today.
0: Before we get rolling here today, let's hear from our sponsor. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry this season. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Proper food storage is one key to an epic trip in the backcountry. Please head over to wetflyswing.com/bearvault to check out this must-have solution for the outdoors now you support this podcast and your safety this season by clicking through that link right now. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you guys doing?
1: Doing good. Thanks for having us again.
0: Yeah, this is going to be another fun one, and maybe we can get this straight right at the front, of the start, so we know. So, Jason, was that you that uh, you, you just talked there?
1: Yes, it was. All right,
0: and Justin, you out there too? I'm here. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna jump back into this. It's been I looked at it uh, April 2021 is when the last episode we did went you know published is was out there. So I think we recorded a little bit before that. Right now, as we're speaking, it's September 23, so. What's been going on in the last, you know, two and a half years with you guys, with Yokota? Give us a little update and then we'll, we'll jump into some of the, the stuff you guys have going with products.
2: So, yeah, a lot's happened since the last time we talked. Uh, we continue to grow the company, um, you know, meet new customers, uh, roll out new products. Uh, probably the biggest things that have happened for us um, in the last six months or a year. Uh, we moved into a new headquarters in Louisville, Colorado. So we started the company in Boulder, Colorado um, in 2017. And about this time last year, we moved into a new space in Louisville where we kind of have everything under the same roof uh, for, the, for the first time. So that's our, our office space where we work every day, uh, the place where we store our inventory and fulfill our orders. And then we do have a, a small retail space where our customers can come in and shop, local people can pick up orders. And it's also a great opportunity for fly shop owners and other retailers to come in and
0: see all of our products in one place. Nice. Yeah, that's I wanted to hear about the, the the headquarters there. So, maybe let's just jump in before we jump into that. I want to hear just uh, you know quickly for those that weren't here, you know, when we did our first episode, maybe we can get a rundown on your guys' background. Maybe Justin, we can start with you uh, just quickly kind of who you are, how you came into the Yakota universe, how how this thing started and what and what your connections. I'm not sure how many people you guys have on the team now, but give us a little update there. Sure.
2: Well, I'm originally from Texas. I've been in Colorado now uh, a couple of years longer than I ever lived in Texas. So uh, I guess I'm just as much of a Coloradan as a Texan at this point. Uh, I have a family, uh, so a kid that was born and raised here. And I'm a graphic designer by trade. So I was working with a friend who owns a fly shop here in Boulder on some shop graphics and stuff, hats and T-shirts, 2015, 2016. And 2017 i met jason on a trip with that fly shop up to wyoming a fishing trip to the miracle mile up in wyoming and we just kind of became fast friends and had a lot of shared interests have kids that are the same age and eventually started you know fishing more together and kicking around some ideas and the company was kind of born out of those fishing trips after we met
0: Right on. Yeah, I remember that. Now, now it's coming back to me. So, so Jason, give us a quick little update on on who you are and uh, and what you're. You know how you came into this whole thing. I guess. I guess Justin just mentioned it, but give us a little update there.
1: Yeah, sure, no problem. Well, um, I was originally born in New York. I uh, spent my first 21 years there, and moved out to Colorado in 1996. Uh, have been here ever since. I also have a family and wonderful twins and wonderful wife. Um, Come from a operations background and also creative background too. Uh, I was a chef in the restaurant world for a long time. When Justin and I met on that trip, um, I think we both had a bunch of ideas about products and things that you know were just missing in the fishing industry in general. We expressed those ideas, and we had some you know commonalities of things that we wanted to create and bring to the market. And just kind of made a plan and forged forward and made it happen. And here we are today, six years into the life, the business that we've built together, uh, and things are going great. You know, we have a bright future ahead of us.
0: Wow, six years—that is awesome. So, what what was the date? What, what where does that bring us when you guys kind of launched six years ago? That was. Uh...
1: It was in 2017 that we launched the brand. We actually met in 2016. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So 2017,
0: which was the same year we launched this podcast, towards the end of 2017. So, oh
1: yeah, there you go, similar
0: similar time. I remember it because when we first got going, I can't remember when we first connected, but it probably wasn't too far after that along the way. It was episode the the one the last one that we did was uh, episode 201. So we'll put a link in the show notes so people can you know check that out and stuff. But um so what was your first? What was the first product? Because I still have um, the laces which I bought. I don't know how long it's been. You guys gave those to me you know, a while back. So I still have the laces and I actually, like you said, I've been through I think at least one pair of boots.
1: Nice. So they're still going strong. Oh yeah. Didn't we also send you a gear transport?
0: Yes. Oh yeah. And that's, so the other thing is the gear transport. I mean, in fact, <laughs> Megan, the, uh, you know, she's kind of taken that, that of her own. So <laughs> I've kind of lost that, but she loves it and I loved it too. It's kind of one of those products. It's really, I'm not sure the history, maybe we can talk about that, but it's really simple But it's really easy because it's like, you know, like I have this other older bag that is kind of hard to put stuff in. And so talk about that. Maybe let's start with the gear transport. Uh, For those that don't know, what is this thing? How did this thing come to be?
2: Well, that kind of answers your question from a minute ago in terms of what the first product was. That that was the first product. Uh, It's sort of in its third iteration now. So it's kind of evolved over time uh, in terms of materials and construction. But it's still essentially the same thing. It's, It's about a 95 liter open top bag. That's made here in Colorado. So all of our cut and sewn uh, soft goods or bags and packs are made um, in Lafayette, hmm. which is just a couple miles away from our office. It's made with uh, primarily with Xpack, which is an American made material. It's made on the East Coast. It's used uh, originally used for yacht sales for competitive yacht racing. So it's a super burly four ply waterproof material that has become popular in sort of the lightweight backpacking community and, and kind of the DIY people that make their own ultralight packs. And stuff. But You'll see a lot of other outdoor brands uh, that use Xpack as well because it's a fantastic material. So the original bag was not made with that material. The original bag was made with some actually really nice Japanese made four ply weighter material that we found uh, one roll of through a friend who uh, was sourcing materials for us. And You know, neither Jason or I come from a product background or product design background. So that uh, original product, even though it it served the purpose and and was a really likable product, it, you know, it had some flaws. It had some things that that definitely needed to be improved. And so these most recent two iterations on the bag, uh, one of which just happened recently, have just the first one was a major update to the materials and the whole construction of the bag. Really, the only thing that stayed the same was the size of the bag. And then, uh, and the fact that it comes with a changing pad for your waiters and then the, you know, the most recent bag has a drop pocket added and, um, a rod tube holder added to the outside. And so that's kind of our, kind of our MO or, or our philosophy about product design. We're not in the business of constantly reinventing, uh, this bag and calling it something different and trying to launch a new version of it. We see this as sort of something that's core to our product lineup from now on. And, when we find opportunities to make small improvements to it, we will, but it's, you know, fundamentally not really going to change. So that was the original product. And then a lot of products have been born out of that um, using the same kind of material story and the same, just like you said, kind of simple functional approach to make it here. And so if you come in and that's your first product, there are other products for you um, to consider that are made the same way made with the same materials. You can match the colors or not. If you come in and buy, you know, something on the other end of the spectrum, like, like our wallet, the utility wallet, which is really a simple little pouch for organizing leaders and and tippet, and stuff, you know, that might be the first thing you buy, and 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 you might realize that you really appreciate the way it's made, the construction, the materials, and and maybe eventually end up buying the gear transport. So, there's all sorts of different you know avenues for people to try and test the products before they make a big commitment, because you know, this stuff's made in the states. It's made really well. It's not inexpensive, um, but it does come with a lifetime guarantee. And if it breaks, we'll fix it or we'll give you a new one. So. Right?
0: Do you know? I'm just curious on that. Like, how much more? And there's all sorts of variation. I'm sure, but a U.S. made product, say, like you know, one of your products versus say, if you had that thing done overseas in China or wherever, is the you know, is there like a, is that like 10x? You know, do you have any idea on that? The difference in price?
2: It's probably not 10x. And I think what happens is you know the retail price might not. If someone else were doing it overseas, the retail price might not be that much different. Uh, their cost might be significantly less. So their, you know, profit margin might be a, might be a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: that's it. Anytime
2: you're building a business like this, you have to kind of understand those basic economics so that you can, you know, stay in business. And so we've got that factored into our pricing. But, you know, it's always gonna come with some premium, but it's gonna also come with a level of craftsmanship and quality, I think, that's worth the extra price. So
0: mm-hmm. And you guys do in the US, I mean, obviously we know all the benefits of that, but why do you guys do the USA made? Why, why not look at some stuff overseas? Because there are companies, you know, in the fly fishing, all sorts of industries that make stuff in the US, and then they make some other stuff that maybe isn't their higher level stuff overseas. Do you keep it all in Is it all US?
1: Yeah. When we looked at the industry in general, it seems like a majority of products are made overseas saw an opportunity to create simple functional gear for the outdoors and for specifically for fly fishing, you know, here locally. And we worked with some local people to help develop the patterns of the products that we have on our website today. And it became a really evident that we were on the right track when COVID hit. You know, many people, many companies in the industry had product that was stuck offshore. right? And our business continued to truck along just fine because we were having things sewn, you know, five miles from our office. So that moment there that we all lived through was it brought everything together. We knew we were doing everything the right way. So stitching locally keeps, you know, money in our local area. It supports local craftsmen and it's a great story and we feel great about doing it. We've built some incredible relationships with our local manufacturers and it's fun to go over there and see things that they're working on. I think it's also from a product quality standpoint, you know, pretty imperative and important that we can go over at any point and make sure everything's being sewn properly as well. I mean, they've got their stuff down at this point, but the fact that we can drive five minutes over and, and check out things are going is pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's it. So
0: obviously, and there's all sorts of benefits to
1: doing it. Um, yeah. I think that some of those benefits, you know, the material that we use for our products is VX 21, which is a carbon neutral material. Mm. And then also stitching it locally certainly cuts down on carbon emissions. So there's definitely a holistic approach to the product creation in itself, which I think in the long run is burning less fossil fuels. And I, I know everyone's conscious of that.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've done quite a number of conservation episodes and we have more coming. In fact, our, our 500th episode is coming up here soon and, uh, and I had this big, I, I don't want to blow the surprise, but it, you know it's conservation week for us. I mean, I, I try to celebrate every hundred episodes and I'm, this is our focus and we have somebody coming on to talk about the removal of the Klamath River uh, the dams, uh, these huge dams kind of in California but for us and a lot of people right this the conservation stuff the climate change it's really it's it's on top of everybody's mind you know what i mean so i think every and that's what she said in that episode was like every little thing because it's overwhelming sometimes you feel like the world's going you know collapsing but you realize it's the small little things like what you guys are talking about you know that make a
1: difference is that kind of how you feel about you know conservation and the environment definitely I think uh, when people come into the shop and we have an opportunity to meet someone new that hadn't heard of us because there's a few other retailers uh, where our business is based, I joke around and say, you know, like our gear is as farm to table as it gets considering, you know, it's done locally and people typically get a good chuckle out of that. But it's true. I mean, the fact that things are sewn so close to our headquarters is pretty incredible, but overall, you know, I think we're doing some, doing things right you know we get high yields out of all the material that we buy uh we really don't have waste with exception of you know some trim on the edges of the products because the shapes of the products that we have are all square rectangular and we maximize everything that we buy and um i think every business should be employing that same mindset Mm mm-hmm
0: Perfect. And you mentioned, and had, answer, yeah, go ahead. David. answer your question specifically. Yeah. I mean, there
2: are certain products that aren't made in the United States. Unfortunately, there are things that are almost impossible to get manufactured here these days. Uh, so w- when we're talking about the American made, you know, story with Yokota, it's our gear, which is certainly our kind of flagship category of products. And it's, it's the thing that needs, you know, uh, we, that we, we want all of our products to, to have a very high quality of standard or standard of quality, but uh, these products in particular, it's really important to us that they're very well-made and made with this, you know, kind of as tight of a loop as possible, like Jason mentioned. So we try to be really transparent about what is made here um, and, and what's not made here. A lot of our stuff is, you know, parts are made overseas and we still assemble a lot of the products ourselves uh, things like t-shirts and hats. It's really difficult if not impossible to find the blank products uh, to, to produce uh, that are made domestically. So, you know, t-shirts are are screen printed by a friend of ours just up the road. And so, you know, we we try to keep that story local as well, but some of those things are coming from, from elsewhere. And then, you know, there are products that have even, even a smaller kind of footprint than than what we were just talking about. Like the laces that you mentioned earlier, our lanyards that we make for nippers, those are all made in house by hand. So we cut and put all those products together ourselves. So
0: right on. Nice. So well, this is, this is great. Uh, this is a great start. I'm just uh, thinking about today. You know what we can cover. I think uh, we'll probably cover some more of your products. I, I want to get into the back to the headquarters because I don't want to miss that. You know we've we have a lot of shop owners, and I, it sounds like your place is a little different than like a, a, you know, a typical fly shop. But you know I think it's really interesting because it, it's kind of the backbone, right, of these local shops. So w- what was it like for you guys going? You know, getting the shop open. Like what would that feel like when the day when the doors open on day one? Like take it's us there.
1: Exhausting was it it was it, it was exhausting uh there was a lot of effort that went into getting our headquarters built uh including the interior finishes much of which we did ourselves and sure it was it's been the glue for our business to bring all aspects of our operation under one roof but it also took a year and a half for us to get the keys to that space so there was a lot of planning that was involved And, you know, when we ultimately were able to move in, then the real work began of moving our operation from one base to another and consolidating everything and then figuring out, you know, how to create a proper retail space for people to come in, for them to see our product line, for shops to be able to come in to uh, see how we merchandise things and also see our full lineup as well. In addition to creating an open work environment for Justin and I and our other guys, to having a fulfillment area and then an area for storage where a majority of our backstop is kept. Uh, it's been a lot.
0: Yeah, and you guys actually maybe describe it because I think maybe it is more, I mean, I think maybe it is more of a fly shop than I was picturing in my mind, but when you walk in the door, and well, it's first let's set it up. So if somebody's coming through Colorado or they're in the area, where would they go? What part of uh, the town is this in?
2: So we're in Louisville, Colorado, which is about six miles east of Boulder which is, you know, fifteen, twenty miles northwest of Denver. So it's an easy place to get to. We have customers that come from from all over the front range of Colorado, which is essentially everything, you know, east of the mountains. We have a lot of people that stop in when they're when they're down the hill, so to speak, from the mountains as well. So it's an easy place to get to. It's in a, a town that's kind of uh changed a lot over the last ten or fifteen years. Louisville has a really a really neat downtown, um, good restaurants and it's a cool place to hang out. So there are a lot of people that, um, that spend time there. And, you know, Jason mentioned that it took a long time to get access to the space. We're in a basically a, a rehabilitated auto body kind of complex. This place uh, used to be called Fordyce auto and they did everything from oil changes to paint and body. Uh, it, it literally was a, a bay of about eight or 10 large garage doors, you know, that, that space that's been completely uh, rezoned and, and converted into uh, retail space. So it's oh, amazing. We, you know, when we first saw this, this, it was literally a a shell of what it is now that it was nasty. There were, uh, you know, there had been (laughs) giant lips and stuff. So there were, there were really interesting things about uh, the way the space had been built out and stuff. So kind of had to really imagine what it could be. And I'd say it's kind of exceeded our expectations originally in terms of what it's, what it's been able to become for us. It's, you know, a place to work. It's a place to meet customers. It's a place to do business with fly shops. And you know, uh, have a small crew of people that come in and work every day. And Jason and I, you know, take a lot of pride in creating a a really fun, positive, laid back work environment. Um, and we've been really lucky to find people who appreciate that and who come in and work hard every day. So it's been really great. And uh, we get a fair amount of uh, people coming who know who we are and maybe drive by every day or have driven by a few times and see our name on the road and eventually stop. It. We get a decent amount of just kind of people floating in from the other businesses that are next door and it's just a really great opportunity to, to stop what you're doing. You know, the, the doorbell rings and we kind of take turns uh, greeting customers and talking to people and depending on what somebody wants to talk about, we might grab one of the other guys that, you know, maybe is more knowledgeable about a certain lake that someone's going to or something and wants to buy flies for. But it's just, a, it's a really great, uh, I look forward to that part of my day every day. Um, meeting new people, meeting people that have, you know, maybe purchased from us before. Or maybe it's the first time ever hearing about us. And it just lets us learn a lot about who our customers are and why they're interested in what we're doing and, and what we can do to kind of, you know, make products and create a service that's uh, something that they, that they want to be a part of, you know?
0: Right on, right on. And, um, I'll have a question for you at the end about a good place to eat. If, if we're in town, I'll, I'll pick you around that, but it looks like, uh, so is, uh, Snarf sandwiches. Have you guys uh, stopped by that? Is that a good sandwich shop?
2: Yeah, that's a classic Boulder spot. Okay. Been around since I live, since before, I think since before either of us moved here, and they just opened that uh, coincidentally a couple months after we got settled in. So, oh, there you go. There are definitely snarf sandwiches being
0: ordered multiple times a week. Nice, you got That's good stuff. Okay. And and so now, and I don't know, like, I mean, Colorado is known for, you know, I don't know if it has per capita more fly shops and all that than any other place, but are there a number of fly shops around? I'm guessing in up in Boulder and stuff, but is, are there other shops near you guys or what's that look like?
2: There are, we're not right on top of anyone else. Yeah. It's funny. A lot of people end up coming in because they Google fly shop in Louisville, Colorado, and we're the only, um, only thing that shows up on Google. Technically, is true, um, but we uh, try to send people over to James at Arbor Anglers. It's a great shop in Lafayette, okay. a few miles away. Um, you know, people come in from Boulder and typically are going to be customers of Rocky Mountain Anglers, which is the fly shop Jason and I met through, or Front Range Anglers, which is another great shop in Boulder. So, Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously out here, there is probably is a higher percentage or higher, higher per capita um, number of fly shops than most places, but it's pretty evenly distributed and spread out across the Front Range. And, so, you know, that's a big part of our, our objective as a business is is to support fly shops and not step on their toes. And so we'd much rather somebody come in and maybe check out a product and go buy it from James over at Arbor Anglers or, or go back into Boulder and buy it from Randy at Rocky Mountain to support the local fly shops. And if that person ends up being, you know, a long term customer, they're going to eventually um, end up coming back in or whatever. So we're not too worried about that. And we want to see those guys be successful. Obviously. Um, it's a really important part of the community. And, um, so not trying to compete with those guys. We're not selling waiters and rods and reels and, uh, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. And, and are you guys, if somebody stops by is, is, are one of you guys usually in there or do you have other people usually man in the shop?
1: Yeah, we're in there every day. Oh, nice. Uh, we have staff in and every day as well. Um, there's currently eight of us in the space, not all at once. Uh, but tonight we will be because we're having a one year anniversary party. That's right. Yeah.
0: That's right. So it's been, yeah, one year already. So you guys launched in one year. And have you learned some stuff? I mean, what is the? I mean, you're the retail shop. Like, just give us that, and then we'll jump into some of your other product stuff. But has it anything surprised you guys about being where you are or just having the retail shop?
1: Yeah, every day is enlightening. It's a surprise. You, know, you never know who's going to walk through the door. Uh, we've met some really incredible people that have been super helpful for us in developing other products, actually, uh, that have just come in through the doors. And we've also met a lot of our customers and developed some really great relationships with them. So that's been really meaningful. Uh, and that, I think that's a part of the business that I've enjoyed a lot, is getting to meet people that have supported us, and be able to, you know, meet them face to face, shake their hands, get to talk, exchange stories, uh, and plan time out in the water together. Uh, ultimately, you know, everyone fishes for to get away from things, and sometimes you meet some folks that you want to spend some time with, and uh, we've met a lot of those, fortunately, through Yucoda.
0: Perfect. Well, I wanted to touch on, I mean, flies. I, I want to touch on that a little bit because that's, I think, a big part of what you guys do. Um, so maybe just take us there a little bit. What does that look like? On is the fly, the selling of the flies a big part of your business, it seems like. And maybe talk about how that's evolved over the last couple of years since we last talked.
1: Sure. Um I think it's important to note that when Justin and I started Dakota, we never had any aspirations of having a line of flies. Although hmm. I had been tying for a really long time and fishing. Uh, I don't know, 15, 20 different patterns pretty consistently uh, over the years. And I can't remember why or how it happened, but I wound up tying like a few dozen of a particular pattern, this hot wire CDC pattern uh, that's on the website at this point. And we listed them, we you know, we we shot them, we listed them, and they were gone in less than a day. <laughs> and this is early on, this is probably four years ago now, and we're like, whoa, like that was really surprising. And that essentially was the birth of the fly line up that we now have on Yukoda's website. We focus on patterns. I've been tying patterns that are more tractor based versus natural patterns and <sighs> everyone has a different mindset on how they like to fish, right? Like I think it's important right. to know Yeah, uh, I'm definitely more of a simplistic angler where I think less is more. Uh, when you have a handful of confidence patterns that you can put on your, your line at any point and you know that you're going to catch a fish with, I think that's really important, especially when you're going to a new water source. And in essence, like the patterns that are on, Yakota's website or patterns that came directly out of our boxes. And we've been able to share information that has helped a lot of other people, whether they're been fishing for a long time or new to fly fishing, uh, have incredible days out in the water and the reviews that people leave on the website about a particular pattern that they use uh, and how many fish they caught is incredibly gratifying. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a moment like, when you can i've had moments where i've reflected on the flies themselves and the experience that we get to create for people through fishing via a fly pattern and when someone says that they've caught more fish on that one fly than anything else that they've ever fished before like it's impossible to not feel great about that so you know we've realized that in the industry we get to create experience for people and i think that is what motivates us now um, especially with your creation as well uh, but the fly lineup is a, a large part of our business. We've got subscription models for people that maybe don't necessarily have as much entomology, uh, you know, background as it takes. You know, it, it, entomology is one of those things that you just can get lost in it. And most of us are still learning 20 plus years of fly fishing. So right. it's also pretty intimidating. And I think it's really important to talk to people the right way when they're interested in fly fishing and what patterns will work for them in a more general way versus getting really hyper focused and be like, well, you know, this is a nymph, this is the spinner and this is the right. dun." like that's going right over most people's heads. Yeah. But when you have, Hey, this pattern can actually mimic three or four different bugs that are in the water at any given time, that's going to help someone catch more fish and it's going to give them a much better experience when they're fishing. And ultimately, we're all looking for good experiences. So um, the relationship that we've built with MFC has been incredible. They are who ties our flies for us at this point. And I think we have uh, close to 30 patterns. And we don't really plan on adding many more.
0: All right. So you have 30 total patterns in your shop.
1: I think so. Right. And then there's color variants, of course. Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Just the main. That's cool. Okay. Yeah.
1: But like 30 core patterns. Yeah. We have a single dry fly. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I'm looking at
0: one. So I'm looking at the Yakota green machine and it's got a top producer. I was going to ask you kind of what would be your top producing pattern. So it looks like you've actually gotten flagged so people can go on here and find out which. Does that mean kind of top selling or just ones that you highlight as like good flies you guys love?
1: It's both, right? I mean, yeah. there are patterns that always work regardless of where you're at. I mean, if there's trout in the water, that green machine is going to get eaten by one. Um, and that, I think that makes the experience for someone who's newer to the industry or newer to fly fishing, and it's inviting. Uh, we also send out information and tips on how to fish these flies after you purchase them from us. And I think it helps to you know, bolster someone's knowledge base and give them more confidence and that's what it's all about so uh, those particular patterns that have been earmarked with the little fire uh, logo or icon there yeah those are those are top producers those things work everywhere and they're always in our box we're always using them as well
0: a quick break for a word from our sponsor smitty's fly box delivering monthly flies fly materials and accessories each month with their smitty subscription fly box If you need a unique fly selection for a new water you're fishing, or if you want to get started fly tying the easy way, Smitty's has you covered. They'll find out where you're fishing and supply you with a custom fly assortment. And Smitty's has been producing high quality flies and materials for over 30 years. And you may not realize it, but Smitty's is connected to Round Rocks, who is the sole supporter to Sportsman's Warehouse and has... Tied and supplied millions of flies over the years. I was at Sportsman's this week and picked up a couple of dozen flies—some chubby, small and large dry flies, some terrestrial patterns. The quality was exceptional. That's one of my struggles—is the dry flies. So I love looking at these little guys—from small, little, tiny flies that I can barely see with my eyesight to the big ones. And these are the same people who are delivering and tying these flies to your door with Smitty's Fly Box. It's a great time right now to get stocked up for the season. You can head over to smittiesflybox.com right now to take a look at their selection of flies and monthly boxes right now. Let Smitties take the guesswork out of choosing fly materials and patterns right now. This is also an easy way to support this podcast and a small business who has been producing high quality flies for many years. Check them out right now. That's Smitties, S-M-I-T-T-Y-S, smittiesflybox.com. Okay, back to the show. Nice. Yeah. And the purple rain. I, I think we talked about that one on the last one through one of your videos up on, on the blog as well. So good. So, and, and, talk a little bit about the change in what you, I think you have more of a, is it more of a membership, um, kind of thing with the flies or how has that changed over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, we started a quarterly, what we call the quarterly, uh, fly 10 a few years ago. It's essentially what it sounds like. It's a product that ships once every three months. Uh, you, you used to get a, a one of our small fly tins every quarter. And we had some people that have been subscribers for, you know, going on two or three years at that point. And we started to get a lot of feedback like, Hey, I've got, I've got 10 of these little fly boxes now. I don't really know what to do with all of them. uh, That was part of the transition. We transitioned the quarterly product into something where you actually get one of our bigger, uh, we call it the slim tin. It's a larger fly box. You know, it'll hold, it'll hold about a hundred of our flies, uh, nymphs and, and small dry flies. So You get one of those when you sign up, you get 20 flies uh, every quarter, including with that initial order and the fly tin. So you're getting 20 bugs that are some combination of Yakota flies and stuff that we've picked from the MFC catalog to be appropriate for the season. Uh, So there's a box, you know, that's going to ship like at the beginning of December that will be, you know, some smaller flies and things that we've picked out for tailwaters uh, for the colder months. And then obviously that's going to change in the spring with runoff and stuff like that. So it also kind of starts to educate people, or just remind people, you know, a lot of people have been fishing for a long time, still haven't cracked the code on fishing runoff, for example. So that's, uh, you know, whether you're new or you've been doing it for a long time, maybe something that just a little bit of information can help kind of, you know, give you some confidence to go out there and try some new flies and stuff. So uh, that's the quarterly quarterly program. Uh, if you, you know, once you've signed up, uh, your second shipment comes in uh, um, some recyclable packaging with a QR code that you can scan to go read the in-depth write-up that we do each quarter on the quarterly bugs. And then we uh, also launched a monthly product. So We have a three pack and six pack of the month. Those are gonna be flies exclusively from our lineup of Yakota flies that again, we pick for the season or, the, or more specifically, you know, it could, it could even be down to the month, right? At that point. So uh, the idea there is that you're either, you know, you're either kind of filling up your fly box over time. You're kind of backfilling with some of our flies if you're fishing a lot and using a lot of our flies. Uh, you're not, you know, you're building up a little inventory of those. And, you know, it's a, it's a more approachable product for some people because it's a monthly subscription instead of something you have to wait every three months for, you know, a little bit of a different price point as well. But uh, part of when we, when we launched those two new products, the monthly products, we kind of reconfigured everything to be more of kind of a membership in, in the fly club. So in addition to the flies and the content that you receive, uh, you get a discount code that's good on the website year round. Hmm. You get access to some products that are, you know, you fly club products that aren't available to, uh, to everyone. And then we kind of have, you know, we have aspirations and ideas for how we might eventually offer people the opportunity to uh, do something more experiential. So, you know, maybe go on a trip uh, with us to fish somewhere uh, and things like that. So, it just gives people gives people some some extra benefits in addition to um you know getting some fresh flies every month or every quarter.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. Kind of like a, almost like a VIP sort of opportunity people that want to just well really connect with you guys more. I think it sounds like that's what right? Yeah,
2: to the point where I mean there's customers that we text with about flies and and where we're fishing them and how we're fishing. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of that, uh hopefully that level of, uh, of communication and dialogue with people. And you know, that's, that's true for any customer that wants to talk. Uh, the phone rings a lot at the shop and it's just people calling to ask a question or, or, you know, check in on a new product or something. So
0: right on. Nice. Well, maybe let's just run through anything else you guys, as far as products. You, I know you've got some new products out there. Why don't you give us a heads up on, you know, anything you want to shed light on that we haven't talked about here today.
1: I think the product that we released last year has been incredibly well received by our customer base and people that are potentially finding Yokota for the first time. That was our convertible utility pack. Uh, it's really ultra versatile pack that can be used on your body a handful of different ways. And then it can also be used off of your body, attached uh, to a, you know a seat in a boat if you have a raft or a drift boat. For a captain uh it's also a way to organize and stage your gear because it integrates with our gear transport And i think that's one thing that's really unique about our product lineup is that we have a modular system that really aids in creating a more organized and efficient way to fish and it saves people a lot of time if they buy into the concept of when time-wise you know you just don't have to scramble to find all your stuff when you go fishing. You know, the bag should be inside of your gear transport, then taken out and put on your body or however you're going to fish it. But it's a very simple design. It has a belt that is not affixed to the pack. So if you're wearing it as a hip pack, you can actually grab the pack and slide it around your body to your stomach area where you can open it up and easily see everything in there and get whatever you need. So, You know, more like a traditional waterproof pack that you have to unclip the belt and then swing it around if you're using the shoulder strap. It kind of eliminates that experience. Um, But I think the thing that's important to note with our gear is that one of the things that is important to us is that our products can be used for a handful of different things, and it doesn't necessarily all need to be used for fishing. The designs are utilitarian, so that convertible utility pack that we use for fishing one day or later in the afternoon could be emptied out and used, you know, on a hike in town or taken to a concert. We don't really pigeonhole people into telling them exactly how they have to use a product. The material X-pack that we use a VX21 is a waterproof material. However, once it is stitched, obviously there's perforation points on it. So you know, if if you submerge the pack for a period of time, it's gonna take on some water. That's inevitable. But I think any waterproof pack, it's almost impossible to close the zipper and you experience the same thing and I know. Yeah. We've all been there, we've all taken a swim before. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the problem with well, in the past, the waterproof those fully waterproof bags is that yeah, the zippers are just not kind of, they've been annoying. And I think that that's one of the things, right? These, and and I haven't had this pack, but I'm just looking at it. And I, I do notice there's, there's a, uh, is that a beer holder in, in the photo I'm looking at? Or is there a beer holder on it? Or is that like uh, something you guys, you must have a beer holder in your lineup, some type of thing. Is that true? I'm not sure which
2: photo you're looking at, but you can use the, our, our utility pouch, uh, which is designed to kind of hold a handful of our fly tins or a fly tin and a, and a utility wallet. So again, like Jason mentioned, everything's kind of modular and meant to kind of, kind of nest or stack together. Uh, but the utility patch, it does have a, a secondary or pr- I guess primary purpose uh, for holding a beer. And and you can flip one of those to the outside of your convertible utility pack and kind of mix and match the products uh, depending on what you're up to. So
0: Perfect. Okay, good. So, and that's the idea. And then just reminds remind us on this, this utility pack we're talking about, is it a cav? Is it more like a hip pack or is, is that the, the idea that it doesn't have like the shoulder strap on it or does it?
2: It does have a shoulder strap. It's removable. The belt is also easily removable. Um, like Jason said, it kind of it's a pass through belt. So it, it serves that purpose of allowing you to kind of move it around on your hip without having to wrench the entire belt around. But it also makes it really easy to remove the belt if you just want to use the
0: crossbow. Oh, right. So that's the cool thing, right? Instead of having to like rotate the whole belt on your thing, you, the belt stays the same. You just rotate the pack.
2: Right. And then, uh, you know, I think the primary, primary way people are using it is probably as a hip pack with the waist belt and the over the shoulder strap. But, uh, we've shown how it can be used as a chest pack. Uh, so you can raise it up and sort of use it on the front of your body. We've shown how it can be used as a sling pack. And then you can, you can actually remove the straps and clip it directly to your waiters in the front and use it as sort of a, a chest caddy that way um, you could you know attach it to your waiting belt if you wanted to i guess it'd be more like a hit pack at that point point. and then other uses off the body like uh, attaching inside the gear transport for a little bit more compartmentalized organization or you know on
1: the boat or however you might might find a way to use it i've been using it um without any of the straps actually this year primarily on our high country trips to you know catch cutthroat or brook trout uh, I took all the straps off and used there's some carabiner attachment points on the back side of the pack. And I'll clip it to the front of my backpack. When I get to the destination, I take those same carabiners, remove the pack, and then on the shoulder straps of my backpack, there's attachment points there, and I can just put it right, you know, square on the center of my chest and it's like such a nice system. And it's, I think most importantly, it's really quick and easy to make these changes, and it's just very, very user-friendly. That pack is also a perfect vessel for all of our core uh, fly holders, those being our Slim Tins or our Streamer Stash. Uh, that external pocket on the front that has a Velcro enclosure is is fantastic for storing your floatant. So there's a lot of smart, intuitive features that, make it easy to use the product opposed to you know other things that are a little bit more challenging to find exactly where things are at like there's a lot of nice compartmental storage inside of it where a lot of the more traditional waterproof packs tend to just be a large vessel where everything resides within with little organization i think that the, the dividers in there and the individual pockets for things to have a very specific place really help make finding something a lot easier when you need something quick.
0: Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And so this isn't necessarily, you know, you've got a lot of different packs. I mean, you know, from like the old school vest to like the slings, which are kind of popular out there, but uh, you know, there's some disadvantages of that as well. This is just my, like your, everything you guys do is kind of interchangeable sounds like, and you kind of try to mix it up. And like you said, you could take it to a a concert if you wanted to and nobody would be like, Oh, what's that weird thing you're wearing? It looked like a, you know, what do you oh, call, yeah. what do you call that? Is that a man? What is that called when you you're at a concert with this thing? The man purse? The merce <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think the important thing is that people should be able to choose how they use something. And a lot of the industry has groomed people on telling them exactly how they should use something. Um, the gear transports a really good example of that. Like, sure, we designed it for fly fishing because in Colorado we've got. Uh, weather that can change relatively quickly on you. So it's important to bring your puffies and your rain jacket and extra layers in addition to your boots and waders and your snacks and food and your pack that you're going to bring. And and the gear transport carries all that and then some more on top of it. But, you know, the same person might use that bag for skiing and snowboarding. And when you're getting your gear on in uh, a parking lot that's covered in mud or snow or ice, like that changing pad is a really fantastic – a uh, simple accessory that helps keep your feet clean. Uh, and then, you know, of course it's an open design that's intentional mostly so that when people are fishing after a long day, you know, typically people are going to drive a couple hours to a water source and they get homes. So not everyone's going to remember to take their bag out of the car to let their gear breathe. Yeah. And that open design allows for the gear to All breathe right. and not, you know wake up in the morning with your stuff all funky and and moldy and stuff so there's a lot of intention in everything that we do
0: today's episode is sponsored by eastern idaho's yellowstone teton territory idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing from the henry's fork to the south fork of the snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between yellowstone teton territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip you can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. That is a good point, yeah. As opposed, yeah, if you left it in like a dry, a dry waterproof bag, that would not be good. Or even a sealed up in another bag. So that's, that's it. So yeah, you can just throw it in the back and if you did forget about it, sit there and kind of dry on its own. Um, yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about a couple more things where we get out. So the artwork and that was one. And then the, um, and then just like your home water, we haven't really talked about that today. Maybe, maybe let's start with the fishing. Do you guys have, I mean, you're in Colorado, which is, you know, obviously there's a lot of good streams there. What's your guys talk about that a little bit. Are you guys into the same stuff Is a small stream kind of headwater stuff, or do you like fishing the big tailwaters?
2: Yeah. I mean, right in our backyard is sort of the Boulder Creek drainage. So South Boulder Creek and Boulder Creek, uh, both come out of, uh, you know, the continental divide area up above Boulder and are both great fisheries. Um, they're both free stone, um, until they, until they run into a reservoir and then they both have nice tailwaters. So in terms of, you know, literally being able to leave work in the summer and go fish in the evening or, or maybe the inverse of that, uh, get some fishing in in the morning and still make it to work. Um, you know, that's our home water uh, it's right in our backyard. Uh, that's where we do creek cleanups and things like that. Um, so it's really, you know, Jason lives up near Gross Reservoir, which is close to the Tellwater and South Boulder Creek, and then above that is is a really beautiful freestone section of that creek that goes up into the Indian Peaks Wilderness area, and you know, eventually uh, is coming out of some of the lakes that we like to fish in the summertime. So. Uh, in terms of an area that we know really well and it's really you know special to us, uh, I would say the Boulder Creek drainage in general is you know you could spend you could spend 20 years here exploring all the tributaries and lakes um, up and up in the Indian Peaks and James Peak Wilderness with Boulder Creek and and the St. Rain, um, Rain Rain That's north of Boulder. It's all sort of west, you know, flowing flowing down from the divide and into Boulder, just kind of on the edge of the the Front Range and the foothills. So. That stuff's right in our backyard. Uh, we can be on South Boulder Creek. It comes right through town. It's you know five minutes from the office. Still, it used to be it used to be a minute from the office. So uh, we spend a lot of time there. But uh, you know, Colorado's Colorado's an incredible place to to fly fish. So you know, we get out quite a bit. There's a few places we don't talk about as much as others. There's also places that everyone likes to go for good reason, and we hit all those as well. We try to spend uh, you know week or two a year up in Wyoming. Uh, there's obviously some incredible water up there. And then I think, you know, if we were to really sit here and reflect on it, we'd probably, uh, realize that we should branch out a little more, you know, you, you end up having the spots that, that you love going to, cause you've been there this time of year for the last seven, eight, 10 years. And you kind of know what to expect and you know, your way around and you know where to cross and you know, which spots to pass up and which spots to stop at, but there's nothing better than, um, a new location too, you know? Yeah. So we could certainly get out more and like if you're willing to drive, you know, uh two to three hours, you're you're in those kind of home spots. If you're willing to drive four or five, six hours from here, you can be, you know, you can be in a different state um and doing some stuff. So
0: Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. You guys, what would be the state? Where would you guys go if you had to pick head out of Colorado? Which state are you going to?
1: We go north.
0: Yeah, we should go further north, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should get further up into
2: Wyoming. There's some incredible water up, you know, in the Bighorn Mountains and right. um, honestly gets passed up, uh, by people going even further. And then obviously, you know, Montana is the next
0: state from there. Yeah. Montana. Yeah. I guess you don't go eat. That's the thing. I mean, the can't like just to the East of you guys, right? I mean, it's not just, but I mean, Kansas, right. The middle of the country, which are the, it's that line of States that you don't hear much about the fishing in. Do you, have you guys ever got into that? Like the Kansas, Nebraska, any of that stuff?
1: My wife's from Kansas. So periodically when we go back for family meetups, um, you know, we'll fish for bass there. Yeah. But no, we don't go to Kansas that often or Nebraska. <laughs> right. <laughs> Colorado's got more. We want to go west. We want to go west. We want to go north. Yeah. North, yeah. North uh, South also has some really good fishing opportunities down in New Mexico too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I've there's so many places I always look at this thing, right? Think like, okay, where are we heading next? And there's just so many it's hard sometimes to choose. But yeah, Wyoming is amazing and Montana.
1: Colorado is a massive state. Like it's incredibly big. And since the Continental Divide runs through it, uh, there is endless runoff opportunities, which of course are a majority of the free stones, which some of those eventually, you know, further down the line get dammed up and then they become a tailwater. Uh, there is just so much water here, which is why there are so many fly shops in Colorado. You had touched on that earlier, you know, how many shops are in the area and my goodness, I have no idea. I feel like there's hundreds of shops in Colorado alone.
0: Yeah. What's the species that you guys are fishing for out in Boulder Creek up there and,
1: you know, wherever? We got uh, in South Boulder Creek, uh, it's all wild rainbows and wild browns. It's like really gorgeous three weight water. There's sections that are just really untouched and rarely fished. Uh, The fish aren't big, but they are so colorful and, you know, every once in a while you're going to find, you know, a 14 inch fish and that's kind of a big fish, but that's, you know, the size of the fish is not why we go there. It's absolutely pristine and it's so close to home. It's incredible that you can get lost in this like beautiful oasis and only have driven 15 minutes to get there. Right. Uh, that's really special. I mean, from my house, I can get to the tailwater in three minutes. And if I hike for 20 minutes, I can see no one the entire day.
0: Wow. That's amazing, and that's because you have Denver, which is obviously the huge hub, and you guys are kind of on the outskirts. It almost looks like it's starting to blend in to Boulder, but Boulder is this little unique area, right, surrounded by forests. And is Boulder kind of its own thing? How similar is Boulder to Denver?
1: It's very different. (laughs) There's (laughs) there's nothing similar. Okay, it's totally different. Uh, Boulder is nestled in the foothills, which is where the plains and the mountains originate from. So the foothills is that convergence. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, outdoor activity here. Some of the world's greatest athletes reside in Boulder because of its altitude and their ability to train at higher altitude and then compete in lower altitude events where they have a physiological advantage because they train their bodies to, you know, uh, perform at lower oxygen levels. Uh, you know, there's rock climbing, mountain biking, running, uh, and then there's all these incredible creeks and rivers as well. Amazing.
0: Well, I guess uh, yeah. Before we take it out of here, I'm going to do a quick little uh, our quick uh, rapid fire round here in a bit. But uh, anything else you guys want to shed? I mean, I I think there's a few other products you have going. But uh, any before we just move on, do you want to jump in anything else here?
1: I think we wanted to talk about the nippers you had asked about earlier on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear about that. So, so nippers, there's obviously a lot of nippers out there. Um, So yeah, talk about, and are these new since we, we talked last a couple years ago? Yeah, these are new
2: as of about a month ago. Okay. Um, So it's a product we, you know, took about a year and a half to fully develop, you know, nippers are a relatively small piece of hardware that everyone has in their or should have in their toolkit, right? You, You probably use them more than any other tool that you bring fly fishing with you, even if you don't realize it. Um, it's something that, you know, you use it so much you wear it around your neck typically, which is why we we actually started with a, a nipper lanyard, knowing that um, we were working on the nippers. Uh, so we've got our own, own version of the nipper lanyards that kind of match the, the boot laces and are made out of the same materials. But, um, you know, sure, you can use fingernail clippers. You can buy a pair of $5 nippers at the checkout at the fly shop right they're going to work just great for that day on the water um, that summer on the water eventually the, the blades are going to get dull and you're going to have to throw them away and buy another pair uh, you can also spend a few hundred bucks on a pair of nippers which you know is, is pretty out of reach for most people and you know you can spend up to you know 40 50 bucks as well and you know everyone's going to have an opinion uh, about how a product performs and and leave reviews and stuff like that but we were kind of just you know we were kind of looking at the at the market out there, uh, there was a pair of nippers that was kind of on the higher price point um, into things that, that essentially got discontinued in favor of a more expensive pair of nippers. And, you know, we're like, what can we do that's, you know, it's not an it's not a cheap product um, in the sense that it's certainly not made cheaply, um, but it's not it's not an expensive product in the sense that, you know, it's, it's out of reach for most people. Uh, we wanted to if we were going to do it, we were only going to do it if it was a product that if someone invested in the, in the initial purchase, it wasn't something they were going to throw away or, or ever, ever need to throw away, hopefully, um, and repurchase the entire product. So it was really important to us that the components that can um, eventually break down on a product like that were replaceable. So in this case, it's essentially the, the ancillary hardware, the blades, the spring, uh, and that kind of stuff are all replaceable. And, you know, we wanted to come in kind of sub 80 bucks, which is sort of where we landed uh, it's $79. And, you know, it certainly is an investment. It's, yeah. it's not a cheap product. It's not an inexpensive product. We understand that a lot of people aren't aren't going to invest that money um, in, in that particular piece of hardware or that tool. But for people who have ever been frustrated, uh, have ever, you know, nicked their tippet uh, while they were trying to cut it and then tied a knot and lost a good fish, I mean, the investment's worth it just, just for that one fish you might have lost, right? So... And, and we want to make a product that people are stoked on and that they can, um, you know, refurbish and repair over time. And so that's essentially where we net it out. Um, just like a lot of our other stuff, we have, you know, we have a black and a silver pair, and we've got this super funky pair of titanium-finished uh, nippers that kind of match some of the other fly-tying tools that we sell. Oh, yeah. Is
0: that the kind of the, the pinkish uh, green? Yeah, cool. it's sort of depending on how light hits it Yeah, you know,
2: what color it is. And, you know, what we've found in general, whether it's um, – you know, T-shirt graphics, hats, uh, sun hoodies. People like the kind of funky stuff. You know, it's hard. to find sometimes in this industry, things that are a little bit more colorful and um, and stuff like that. So yeah, the titanium pair have been, have been the, the top seller. But uh, yeah, that product just launched recently. And, you know, um, it's, it's not something that, I, I don't think we expect that to be the first thing someone buys from us, you know, like we understand that you need to trust us and have used some of our other products likely before you come and spend, um, you know, what to some people is, is certainly a, uh, an investment. And for me, it would be, you know, I've never owned a pair of $75 nippers before, but you realize pretty quickly, you know, you're cutting, you know, on that thousandth knot that you cut or whatever, it's just nice to have a a good tool, you know, and it's just like anything else. Sure. You can get by with a pair of scissors or, or your teeth. I wouldn't recommend it. That dental bill is going to be a lot more than 79 bucks. So
0: right. um,
2: yeah, that's, uh, you know, one of those core products that we saw an opportunity for and, um, kind of filled a void. and you know if if someone's interested in uh, in checking them out, I, I think it's a great investment. So
0: perfect. Okay, well, let's take it out of here with our, our rapid fire round. where We've been doing the uh, the conservation shout out. So um, I've been starting this off with a shout out to one of our conservation partners. And today I was gonna uh, you know shout uh, Henry's Fork Foundation. We're doing a trip actually. Gosh, it's right around the corner uh, end of this month, early next month. we're heading to that area. And uh, and so that's a group that we're supporting there. I want to check with you guys to start this off. Do you have? I mean, we talked a little conservation earlier. Do you have a group, maybe a local group, somebody that you want to um, shout out to uh, that maybe we haven't talked about?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks for asking. I mean, one thing that we're really proud to support is One Percent for the Planet, mm, which yeah. most people who've uh, spent money in the outdoor industry are probably familiar with. It was started by Patagonia as a way to give back one um, percent of sales to yeah. an organization or organizations and yeah, I'd love to mention our partners really quickly. Uh, we're a founding partner of Protect Our Rivers, which is a really awesome organization. We work really closely with Sarah over there. Um, they do a ton of activations, creek cleanups, river cleanups, um, and, and are active otherwise in just making sure that people have access to you know, clean, clear, fresh, cold water for recreation. Um, they work a lot with people in the rafting industry, so there's an interesting kind of crossover there. A lot of people who Boat are getting more into fly fishing because they're realizing that they have really, you know, great access to, to great water. And so that's been super fun. Um, we're really proud to be working with IndieFly, um, which is an organization that works mostly in indigenous communities around the world to kind of um, help them conserve and protect these really amazing fisheries. Um, sometimes that are just still just being discovered, you know, new species that people are um, targeting with a fly rod and they kind of help build the infrastructure and economy around those fisheries so that people in those communities can uh, make a living, you know, with this resource they have in their backyard and still protect it. So nice. they have a really awesome product up on the wind river range in Wyoming. We're, we're excited to get more involved with. That's right. And then uh, we also support backcountry hunters and anglers, which most people are familiar mm-hmm. with just making sure that we all have access to public land, which is super important. And you know, I think uh, I can't remember the last time if I have ever fished on private water. So, you know, public land is, is super important to us. And, um, yeah, so we're really proud to be working with all those guys.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Those are all huge. And we've talked about, I think a little bit of those protect, uh, was it protect our rivers? Yeah. Yeah. Protect our rivers. Yeah. That's one that we haven't uh, talked about yet. So I'm glad you threw that out And the, all the other ones, obviously, yeah, they're huge Indie fly 1% for the planet. Um, okay, so good. So we got that one covered. Let's go into the music because I always like to throw something either up on Instagram or have some people take this away in the podcast. Who's more ad- you two? Who's more of the music buff, or are you guys both into music?
2: I mean, that's a great question. I mean, one of the first things that Jason and I bonded over was a shared interest in, in music. So okay, fifty um, like fifty. Yeah, fifty rarely- fifty. Rarely, if ever, are we asking each other or anyone at the office to change the tune that's playing on the speakers. So.
0: Right. So, what is the tune? What What would be if you had to play one right now? If we came into the shop, what, what would you guys throw on there?
2: Recently, it'd probably be uh, like a live Jerry Garcia band show. Oh, nice. Um, you know, kind of maybe that's a cliche answer in the fly fishing industry. Nah, I don't uh, think if you yeah. Go to a fly shop you're, you're likely to hear a Dead show in the background. But that's always something good in the background. I mean, yeah, but it's pretty diverse. I mean, there's lots of good jazz playing there's lots of kind of indie psychedelic rock um, i grew up in texas so i'll throw on my, you know my waylon Jennings playlist every once in a while nobody can play too much so a uh, little bit you know a little bit all over the place cuz there's lots of good music out there and lots of live music in colorado so
0: oh yeah right you guys have good yeah you have a good scene there nice so all right we'll, th- we'll throw maybe some jerry garcia or uh, some waylon we'll, we'll figure that out we'll throw that in the show notes um, and let's go to podcast
1: and, and, oh yeah uh, Add the war on drugs to that list as well. Oh, the war on drugs. Those guys are phenomenal. Oh,
0: okay, good. And what what are the war on what do those guys do? What's their style?
1: They're out of Philadelphia. Um, they embrace some sounds from the '80s primarily.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the singer lead vocalist has some kind of like Bob Dylan-y sound to him, but they'll incorporate, you know, U2 or. Um, Bruce Hornsby or um Bruce Springsteen and just in general, like the music is just so good. They're probably the best rock band out there at this time. Like seeing them live is an incredible experience.
0: Nice. Okay, good. So we we got this going good. So and then what about on podcasts? Do you get do you guys either you guys listen to other podcasts out there?
2: Yeah, I mean we do. Jason's kind of a true crime uh buff he and my wife share <laughs> podcast links they're both into
0: awesome awesome give us one podcast give us something we could we could check out in the uh-
1: oh shoot let me look at my phone <laughs> yeah yeah quick. look
0: at you i always say the question i would say is what are your the last five podcasts you listen to would be but well
1: this morning i listened to an episode of spooked which is a like real ghost stories oh that wow tell it, it's it's pretty awesome they have a new episode every week uh, I've also been listening to lost Hills, which is a true crime story. Uh, season three that Justin's wife turned me on to about this guy, Mickey Dora, who's basically like one of the original guys that started surfing out in California and what a scoundrel he was, huh. uh, and how he began to scam people and live off, you know, like a true surfer, like living off of those scams to support his kind of carefree way, uh, all around the world um which is pretty surprising so i'm I'm at the latter end of that podcast and all of the hijinks that he got himself into we also listen to like a lot of business podcasts wisdom from the top which is um a podcast narrated by ira glass who's from this american life uh but he um Talks to founders uh, about some businesses or a product that they've created and some challenges that they've encountered because, you know, as a new brand, that's important for us to be, you know, kind of have our eyes wide open and to hear other people's experiences. And we've fortunately not really encountered anything too crazy with the exception of COVID, but you can always learn something from someone else. Uh, and what's best is that it's not at your own expense. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: That, that's a great, that's a great uh, reminder. Great tip is that, you know, you can make your own mistakes, you know, but it's just going to cause you to take you a lot longer to get to where you get, you know, want to be. The best thing is to learn from people that already made the mistakes. Right. And so that's kind of, yeah. yeah, I have to give a
2: shout out to, uh, anything that Rick Rubin does. I'm a big fan of. So he has got a uh, broken record. Um, is incredible. Uh, Tim interviewing musicians. Oh, wow. So
0: Rick Rubin has a podcast.
2: Oh yeah. oh yeah, sweet. And he, and he he also just released a new book called The Creative Act. That's really fantastic. audio audiobook, but and he has a new one called Tetragrammatron, which is um, he talks to a lot of musicians, but also you know scientists and um, comedians and stuff. And he's just he's a fascinating guy who comes at creativity and business from a really unique perspective. And obviously, he's been involved in some uh, some of the best albums last 50 years but he uh he he gets a lot of interesting information out of people so anything that anything that he does i tend to I
0: tend to, listen to yeah 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 rick rubin i always think it, whenever I, I mean i think of the beastie boys right was rick rubin and but i always think of johnny cash right his the last yeah. five albums when he before johnny died like he came in it just shows you that the skill of that guy right he can bring a, a guy like that who was struggling and produce like some of the best albums ever right yeah, I mean he's he's kind of known
2: for getting the best out of people later in their careers, which is is pretty
0: cool to think about it. Yeah, cool. Good. Oh, we we mentioned food. Let's let's keep on the slide. This is good. So if we're coming into town, I guess maybe your hometown or Boulder, where if we want to get some food after a day of fishing, where where should we go?
2: Man, we should probably mention a spot that's close to our office. A friend of ours owns a Mexican place called Picos Taqueria. It actually started up in Jackson Hole and a location in Boulder and a location in downtown Louisville. And as a Texan, uh, you know, I'm pretty particular about um, Mexican food. It's hard to find good stuff out here. But uh, Trent is uh, from Austin, so he gets it. And it's kind of like bottle-style um, tacos and burritos. So we freak that place. Good margaritas.
0: Oh, good, good. And, uh, and then for we talked flies, we, we kind of covered that one. So in the shop, are people, is that something back to the beer, are you able to crack a beer in the shop? What would be your beer choice if you had to pick one?
2: <laughs> well, we had a guy come in the other day who um, wanted one of those utility pouches. We had it kind of merchandised up on the wall with a, a beer to show how it could be used that way, and he wanted a white one. It was, I think it was the last one we had um, in inventory. So Jason sold him the uh, the utility pouch and threw the beer in for free. We gave him a
1: cold one out of the fridge. Oh, there you go.
0: What's what was the one? What was the beer? What's your? If, are you guys like kind of you're
1: all over there the was place? A- there was a Montucky on display, but he got a cold Modelo's. Oh, Modelo's. Okay. Yeah.
2: Modelo and, and and the Coors uh, original are probably our go-to. Okay. You know, like if you're going to if you're gonna drink a few beers while you're fishing kind of beer. Um, there's a place up in Summit County that we've popped up at a couple of times over the past few summers called Outer Range Brewing. If mm. you're ever nice. um, on your way from Denver to like Breckenridge or Vail on I-70, Outer Range is worth a stop. It's pretty heavy on the IPAs and stuff but um really good beers uh, and, and really great food which is you know can be a little bit harder to find up in the mountains especially when you're traveling and want to stop and get a good meal so that place is pretty awesome
0: perfect guys well i think we we'll, i think we'll leave it there and uh and maybe we'll circle back around with you guys to see what's new you know maybe next year um i guess yokotasupply.com supply.com is the best place to head out uh, any other words of wisdom before we head out here today
1: it's just fishing get out there and have some fun. Don't overthink it.
0: Awesome. I, yeah. I love, I love that with uh, your fly selection too. I didn't realize you guys have the, just those select patterns that are, I mean, those are your own flies, right? That's the stuff that you guys that are in your box, the stuff you created pretty much. So keep it simple as part of what you guys that's, is that kind of part of the, the Yokota supply kind of, you know, kind of the essence?
2: I think that's it in a nutshell. Yeah
0: perfect yeah all right guys well thanks for all the time today and excited to keep in touch with you and i think uh hopefully we'll get maybe another one of these uh giveaway events we've been doing we didn't talk about that today but we've been doing some really cool stuff and you guys have you know actually been really awesome because you know i've learned a lot from you guys you know over the years just being you know working with you and being friends so i appreciate you guys out there and look forward to keeping in touch with you
1: thanks dave it's good talking with you hey thanks for having us on again pleasure talking with you again
0: that is a wrap You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. If you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you, check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.